Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 31st of August here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Swiss lender UBS posts record profits as its Credit Suisse takeover looks to be paying off. The Chinese mega developer Country Garden posts a record loss and warns of default. Plus, we take a closer look at the fallout from Europe's biggest tax scandal and why the investigation just keeps growing. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. UBS has reported record profits in the wake of its emergency takeover of Credit Suisse. The bank made just under $29 billion in profits in the second quarter, but pre-tax profits would be a more modest $1.1 billion after stripping out the acquisition cost and negative goodwill from the Credit Suisse deal. The combined bank says it saw $23 billion worth of deposit inflows in the second quarter, of which $18 billion worth of Credit Suisse wealth management and Swiss bank units. The Chinese developer Country Garden has warned that it may default on its debt and raise concerns about staying in business. The warning came as the property giant posted a record first half loss of almost $7 billion. Shazad Kwasi, who is managing director of the China Beige Book, says that investors should strap in for more negative news. I think we get bad property news, more problems with developers, at least for the next couple of years. And we really still haven't found the floor and property prices either. Uh, So I think investors should brace for more bad news ahead over here. The deepening real estate slump in China mentioned there by Shazad Kazim uh, also was among a host of negative factors that helped to push down the country's latest economic survey data. China's services PMI dipped to 51 in August and the reading above 50 indicating only a slight expansion in the sector. A hedge fund founded by two former Citadel traders saw its portfolio drop by a quarter this year. Fifth Delta was the the biggest startup of its kind in 2021, but has struggled since then to meet expectations. Data from Bloomberg shows its peers are up by an average of over 6% this year. The year-long slump in the UK's private sector is expected to continue for at least three months. That is according to new figures from the Confederation of British Industry. Bloomberg's Jack Ryan reports. This is the latest indicator of a gloomy outlook for the UK economy. Businesses surveyed by the CBI say they're cutting back on investment as they suffer from lower demand, cost pressures and higher debt repayments. The report shows manufacturing output falling at the sharpest rate in almost three years, while services continue to slide. The findings suggest that the trend is likely to continue in the coming months. But a separate survey from Lloyd's is more optimistic, with business confidence surging to an 18-month high in August. In London, I'm Jack Ryan, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell froze in public for the second time in as many months. The 81-year-old political veteran struggled to answer a reporter's question about his re-election plans. I'm sorry, I had a hard time hearing you. That's okay. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh, that's a... 
Did you hear the question, Senator, running for re-election in 2026? Yes. All right, I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. Senator. The episode raises further health concerns for Mitch McConnell, who is a major fundraiser and force within the Republican Party. His spokesman said the senator felt momentarily lightheaded and paused during his press conference and planned to consult a doctor. Sources tell Bloomberg that Apple is testing the use of 3D printers to produce the steel cases for some of its upcoming smartwatches. That story now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It would herald a major change to how the company manufactures products. The technique would do away with the need to cut large slabs of metal into the product's shape. Sources say that would reduce the time it takes to build devices while also helping the environment by using less material. The new approach has the potential to streamline Apple's supply chain and kick off a broader shift. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg, Daybreak Europe. Elon Musk's social media network X is planning to gather more data from users than ever before. The network formerly known as Twitter says it will collect biometric data which can include account holders' retina pattern and thumbprint. X also updated its privacy policy to collect information on account holders' employment and education history. Well, let's turn to one of those stories that caught our eye this morning and a piece about the blockchain and handbags that I wasn't <laughs> expecting a link to when I started reading this, but our colleague Anna Herrera has been looking at, uh, unexpectedly discovered in her new <laughs> Mew Mew handbook, a, a handbag rather, a, a white card showing that it has been registered on the blockchain to prove its authenticity. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Um, Luxury houses using blockchain basically to prove the origin. Why? Because I think fakes are such an enormous part of global trade. You know, watches, handbags, uh, even coats and jackets. So these um, big names, uh, of course, um, Mimi is owned by Prada. Mm. Uh, They want to try to protect these and sort of give uh, a seal of authenticity. And so this does seem to be a kind of practical usage of blockchain, perhaps in a way that a lot of shoppers, people might not have seen before. Well, as Anna points out, we've been all told for such a long time that the blockchain is going to revolutionise so Mm. many areas of the world. And while getting it involved in having to log transactions in the financial sector, for example, is quite complex because of the systems that exist already and regulation, etc. This is perhaps a more visible use of, of what the blockchain technology can offer yeah, and absolutely. can potentially change business. Yes, it could. Although it seems to be only for the most expensive items. Let's put it that way. Uh, only for, you know, well, so nothing expensive I own is going to jewelry be or very expensive <laughs> handbags. But you can get it because, of course, you know, the resale market, as we were, we were talking yesterday about watches and resale values, you know, it's a big, big business. So, yeah, and a very nice piece by Anna Herrera. Okay, so on this top story then in uh, finance this morning, Bloomberg's EMEA finance editor Tom Metcalf joins us this morning. Tom, great to have you with us. We've only had a few minutes to digest the results, but what do you make then of the UBS record uh, profits and the integration of Credit Suisse? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's largely as expected. There's this absolutely enormous figure, uh, you know, their net profit of 29 billion, and that's obviously coming from, you know, negative goodwill uh, from the Credit Suisse acquisition. For me, the things that stood out you know, once you dig below that number is, you know, at the UBS's underlying business, certainly the messaging seems it's, it's going well. You know, they managed to get in client inflows, the Credit Suisse outflows we knew about it 
wealth have sort of stabilised from the, the heavy bits in the first quarter. OK, I'm going to put you to the test, Tom. Explain negative goodwill. Why does that profit number look so strong? Basically because they effectively bought Credit Suisse for under its book value. So they bought it, obviously, as a fire sale. You know, someone needed to step in and rescue a lot of risks associated with that. So they paid about $3 billion. And effectively, the way you think about it is that $29 billion of goodwill is effectively Credit Suisse was really worth $33 billion in normal times. And that's been the uplift. I mean, look, if you're UBS, you're still taking on a huge amount of risk. And that, that is the figure right now. And, you know, let's say there's lots of hidden losses at Credit Suisse or something like that. That figure will naturally come down. So right now, it's kind of this big margin of error they have almost in terms of making sure this acquisition is a success. What about the, the inflows figures we were just talking about there a moment ago? How significant are they? I think they're really closely watched. So, you know, that is basically an indication of sort of how investors view, you know, these core franchises, right? So for UBS, it's all about the wealth business. Uh, and, you know, that's what they want to be seeing. You know, with Credit Suisse sort of seen as sort of in travel eyes and stuff, it was interesting. Probably a lot of those outflows might have come from Credit Suisse, right? So one pocket to the other. Um, but no, that's certainly something investors will be looking out for in terms of they want to see those assets inflow. They want to see the outflows at Credit Suisse stabilize and, and ideally reverse at some point. Um, so yeah, no, one of those underlying things that probably will be more closely watched than they, this $29 billion figure, as amazing it may be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, of course, UBS CEO Sergio Amotti is going to be speaking to Bloomberg this morning. So we'll have that interview uh, for you just after 7 a.m. London time. What do you think he might say? What do you think are going to be the question marks? I mean, around, uh, you know, going forwards after this very strong figure, more on the integration, maybe share buybacks. What do you think shareholders will want to understand about this set of results? Yeah, well, he's got to talk to a lot of stakeholders, right? It's UBS shareholders, also the Swiss government, um, you know, regulators around the world. The deal's been approved, but st- still, there's obviously a lot of focus on it. So, yeah, no, I think I think it'll probably be a message of reassurance. I suspect he'll be, be pretty carefully phrased. And, you know, if you look at what he's saying in the statement, he's saying, you know, we know we have a big task ahead. It's all about the integration. It's all about getting these economies of scale, determined to make this a success. And, you know, it's clearly one of those tasks where, you know, right now it all seems to be going kind of to plan. But it's, as, as we saw with Credit Suisse, for example, right, like it's very easy for these things to change on a dime. So I think that's going to be the message is we're, you know, laser focused on this, not taking our eye off the ball and, uh, you know, uh, bring on many years hence when we'll be fully integrated. And, and that's where the sort of sunlit uplands are almost. OK, Tom Metcalf, our MEA finance editor. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. 
Now, a decade-long criminal investigation looking into a trading strategy known as Cumex is targeting now 1,800 people and there seems to be no end in sight. Karen Matusek is Bloomberg's legal affairs correspondent in Germany. She has the story for us this morning and joins us on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, Karen. Thank you so much for your time. Um, so just go back over. I mean, some people may be familiar with these Cumex cases, but just uh, explain exactly what the, the case are all about that you're covering. Yeah, hi, good morning. Yes, Comex, Comex was a, um, a derivative, so to say, of dividend stripping. And dividend stripping was a tactic to transfer uh, tax breaks that were reserved to locals to foreign investors. This has been done for many decades, and but Comex pushed it to an extreme. It was uh, done mainly through short sales, and it, it not only transferred one tax break to another person, it doubled that tax break, so to say. It doubled the refunds you could get on a, on a tax that was paid only once. Uh, or in trader slang, it was double dipping. And Germany mm-hmm. was one of the main targets of this. It was done in Germany until the end of 2011. And it's estimated that it cost the taxpayer here about 10 billion uh, euros in illicit tax refunds. So no wonder that at some points prosecutors stepped in and probed the matter. And that's rolling the financial industry for quite a while now. And the number of... of- people being targeted by this investigation is growing. Why are so many bankers being targeted by prosecutors? Well, COMEX was a strategy that was devised and set up by, by, by investment banks, by big investment banks, mainly in London. Many people think since it's a German tax scandal that it, this must have been happening in Germany and they're German perpetrators. But that's only part of the picture. I mean, the, the trading was orchestrated in London. And banks there also finance these deals. So we, when we are talking about hundreds and, and of millions of euros needed to do the to trade these to trade these shares, and banks also took more roles that were necessary in the trades. Many people were involved. You, you, you needed a lender of share. You needed a short seller. This was done by banks, and Cologne prosecutors who are running the biggest probe here in Germany. They have put each and every person that only came close to any of these functions that that banks performed on the suspect list. So that's why we are now having 1,800 people who are being investigated, and they are mainly from the financial industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it was only a few weeks ago that we were talking about, um, you know, France and and it's a similar investigations and probes. So this is sort of a, a pan-European issue. Um, why has it taken so long? What's next, just briefly, in terms of the trial and the next dates that we should think about, Karen? It took so long mainly because German authorities, at least, they failed to act quickly and properly. There were red, red flags before, and uh, there were a lot of red flags, but they failed to act. And once they started to act, it it, it, it turned out a very complicated thing. So they needed, a, you know, they, they had difficulties to get the information, partly because it was in the UK. And the breakthrough only came in 2017 when Cologne prosecutors convinced people to cooperate with them. So that that helped that that turned the, that was a breakthrough and turned the yeah. uh, the cases. So we got a lot of uh, a lot of trials and convictions, and we'll okay. have three new trials in September. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com.
Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.